Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. This is Apologetics Live. To answer your questions, your host of Striving for Eternity, Andrew Rappaport. Apologetics Live. To answer your questions. All right, we are live. Apologetics Live. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. This is a podcast you can listen to on Apologetics Live is the podcast name. It is on the Christian podcast community. And I have with us, as if you looked in the title, we have a guest apologist, the unshaven, trying to grow his beard, Dr. Anthony Silvestro. <laughs> It's about as much as I can get away with, as everybody knows. <laughs> Your wife will be calling soon, saying, Dear, shave that if you want a kiss. <laughs> Although she has a better voice than that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little. <laughs> All right, well... Uh, so what we're going to do tonight, if folks want to join and ask questions, we will do a live Q&A uh, for folks who are familiar with Dr. Silvestro. Uh, his background is going to deal more in the creation science and things like that. So if you want to ask, he's, by the way, you're, are you a real doctor? <laughs> no. Yeah, that's what the atheists always say on the street, right? You're, you're, always. So yeah. what, what kind of doctor are you? So I'm a dentist. A dentist. So doctor of dental surgery is DDS. So, so, so technically you have a doctorate degree, right? Because right. I noticed that when atheists get guys with PhDs, they call them doctor, but they're not medical doctors. So, huh. Yeah, Boy, you're a fake doctor. Huh. But everyone jokes and says you're a fake doctor. You're not a real doctor. That doctoral degree just doesn't count. But your background is, is math and, and chemistry undergrad yep. so those are areas you're yeah. you're knowledgeable on for folks in the in when we get to open q a um what we're going to do to start is we'll be discussing uh, an issue that both of us think is quite important for the church and that is the issue of social justice and so 
Um, we could put some comments up here uh, that we see. Billy says, runs away, now he's a dentist. <laughs> People do run away from their, their dentist. Yeah. See, this is the nice thing about this. We can read some comments. Although for some reason on Facebook, I'm not seeing some of the pictures, but it's a, but Danny says, hey, brother Andrew Rappaport and brother Anthony Silvestro, throw me and my girls a shout out, please. Their names are Addison and Abigail. So there you go. You got your Hello, shout Addison out. Addison and Abigail. All right. But Danny, you can actually join us better than that, you could join us. So how do they join? Well, you do what Anthony did. You go to apologetxlive.com. There's a link there for to participate using uh, StreamYard. If you need the instructions, they are there. I'll mention this throughout the show. And so actually, we could just put up the ticker. There we go. So now you have that throughout the show. Little thing to remind you to go to apologetxlive.com to ask any questions. So we should start off, Anthony. We weren't around last week. We were going to try to do a show last week, uh, but you, you you were like kept me so busy. It was all you. Yeah, it was all me. I'm, I'm blaming you. Uh, I forget yeah, what we were doing well, we were, Thursday night. We were somewhere. Yeah, certainly. We were at the G3 conference, um, and I think we we kind of were passing each other a lot. I, I, we didn't really talk very much, even though we stayed in the same Airbnb. <laughs> so, so let's start off with a, a report from G three. How did you enjoy it? What uh, the question I was asking folks that I was interviewing? What uh, was your the session you liked the most? And outside of the sessions, what did you enjoy the most from the conference? Well, okay, so I'm always biased, but Billy Bachum is. Yeah, I know that was coming. Yeah, my favorite preacher to listen to. <laughs> I mean, MacArthur was there, and you're going to go with Vody. Yeah, so of course, that's going to be my favorite session. Um, well, you know, sadly, it, you know, when we are in ministry, you can't go to G3 and see every session, or you can't do a lot of the ministry you want to do in, in making contacts and seeing people and fellowshipping and that kind of stuff. So I, I saw only about a third of the sessions. So Vody's the winner in the third that I saw. Now, people tell me Tim Challies was really good. I heard Tim's and, was uh, very good. Yeah, and a few others too. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll enjoy going back and seeing them. I think that they're already online. Oh, really? Not the edited versions, but I think the original ones are up. All right. So outside of the the talks, what was it that you enjoyed the most? Well, I, I'm going to say two things. Um, one is a, is a really cool thing. The other one was a very disturbing thing to me. The uh, the cool thing was was the fellowshipping. You know, getting a chance to see people that you only see on Facebook all year and to get a chance to see them live for a few days is, is a lot of fun. Getting a chance to meet people and, and see people for the first time that you knew from Facebook. My favorite picture, if you go to my Facebook page, is, uh, is meeting a, a female who had, a, she had her own T-shirt made that said, Proud Sandwich Maker. <laughs> Yeah, that was that, that was, was good. I don't know you, but I need a picture with you. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out she knows Bud Allheim, a lot of other guys that that's, uh, that we're friends with. So, <laughs> so I, I was I was enthused to, to see that. The uh, the part I was I was I, there you, actually when you when you saw that and you grabbed your wife. You're like Julie, come here, read this, read her shirt. <laughs> Give me a picture, yeah. <laughs> so so that was that was funny. But uh, the other one, on a little more serious note, something I was pretty disturbed on, and I don't even know if you know this, Andrew, but um, 
So my wife, when she found out that there was a cheap cruise that she could go on, she's like, oh, sign me up. And she, well, she didn't even tell me first. She ran over to the Sovereign Nations booth who is hosting this cruise for next year. So G3 is breaking up. We'll give a plug to G3. Okay, wait, wait, wait. It's not breaking up. This it's isn't like up. the Beatles or something, and they all had to go their separate ways, all right? Don't, don't start creating a rumor. That's it. We're going to be hearing from folks, you know, Anthony Svestro says G3 is breaking up. Yeah. Uh, then we got to get the band back together again. Well, they kind of are. So what they're doing next year is no longer is the conference going to be in January because the weather is so suspect in Atlanta. So now they're doing a cruise that same week every year for four days. I guess five days, four nights, or four days, three nights, one or the other. And then, oh, Donnie Jacks, good to see you here. And he says we have to keep this civil. Yeah. <laughs> That's because we'll we won't put him on. We should bring Donnie on. So so G3's doing that, and then they're going to move their conference to October. So the next official G3 won't be until October 2021. And then the part of the breakup that they're doing is they want to start doing these mini workshops around the country, expositor workshops. And uh, so different guys will be uh, leading those around the country, mini workshops on expository preaching. So it'll, it'll be neat for some of the changes that they do. I have to be honest, I'll be more excited being in Atlanta in October than I would be in January. So, okay, having said all that, my wife drags me over to this booth. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So they're going to go, you're going on the cruise, right? Um, yeah. Okay, so here's here's what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of going. I've already, I've already thrown it out there that, uh, you know, um, we're going we're gonna to get to see James Watkins' role with Vody Bauckham. You know, just just that'd be fun to see James get choked out by Vody Bauckham in like seconds. Yeah, that would be <laughs> interesting for sure. <laughs> I said I'll bring my my uh, gee so that I can uh, I can I'll roll with John Evans. <laughs> I don't I don't I'm not rolling with with Vody. No. Okay, so you wanted to talk about some sad news with the cruise. Okay, yeah. No, Go no, ahead. Cruise. Just, it was when we went over signing up for the cruise. So ended up uh, talking to to who's Michael Fallon. Now look, I, I don't care about Christian celebrity whatsoever. Apparently he's a celebrity. Um, he himself told me that he is the only guy who has been allowed to moderate every one of James White's debates since 1999. I didn't know that. Oh, well. So anyways, we, we got to talk into social justice for a few minutes and he had a guy next to him who you may recognize from some of the videos. Now, I've never watched one of their videos through and through. I've seen bits and pieces. Um, his name is James Lindsay, and he was here, he was there at the G3 conference. So us three were talking. My wife was filling out the, the paperwork for this G3 cruise, and within a few minutes, I'm like, something doesn't sound right as they're talking. And so I, I asked the guy, James, I said, are you a Christian? Are you saved? <laughs> and he goes, No. I'm an, I'm an agnostic atheist. I'm like, oh. So I just want you to understand something, James. Like, you know, enjoying your conversation, but I'm going to shift gears now towards evangelism instead. And so we actually had a chance, my wife and I, to evangelize to him for, oh, 20, 25 minutes and talk through some things. And um, had a great time doing it. I found out some interesting stuff. So, Andrew, we noticed when we were at the uh, Reason Rally almost four years ago now, right? It used to be the, the atheist did a reason rally every four years, this summer of a presidential election year. And they did this for the purposes of 
wanting to inject what they would consider reason and science into politics. And they were pretty upset, weren't they, Andrew, (laughs) four years ago? So much so that they're not even doing one this year. So they canceled this reason rally. And one of the things that they were really upset about. Yeah, I was, I was actually, I was, you're saying that I was just looking up reason rally 2020 to see uh, if if they were doing it. So the first year they did this and this is the first one they did. They said no one showed up because of the rain expected huge crowds last time that they did it because we brought a thousand Christians to evangelize. And they said, we scared away all the atheists and that's why they only had 4,000 people. So we made up 20% of their, of their attendance. Yeah, no, that's right. We did. We were, they said we they were going to have 30,000 people. They had yeah, nothing we like everywhere. that. But, you know, there was something that was undermining them. And, and this is kind of the subject we're talking about today is, is social justice. Is the atheist agnostics were undermined by the LGBTQ crowd. And so, as you remember... Atheists are there, and they were trying to promote their agenda. The The gay lesbian crowd came in to promote their agenda, and those two thought that they could link arms and join sides, so to speak, and it turned out to be a disaster for both groups. I remember walking through the the atheist convention, whatever you call it, and, and doing witnessing. Uh, one time I was actually walking around with Josh Smith and, and uh, Matt Slick. Another time I went through with another guy who I never met before and haven't seen since. And another time I went through by myself. But each time you saw the groups actually fighting among one another um, because literally the atheists were being overrun. Now, I didn't think a whole lot of this um, other than just kind of being silly. You know, we're here to evangelize to all of them, so I didn't really care. I bring all this up because when we were talking with this uh, James Lindsay guy, um, who's part of the Sovereign Nations group, who is speaking out against social justice, turns out he's an agnostic atheist, or atheist agnostic, whatever he calls himself. But he's not happy with the direction of the country being overrun by cultural Marxism. And specifically, what's going on with the LGBTQ movement is part of the cultural Marxism and, and what they're doing in society. They're, they literally have all the power. And I think the atheist agnostics are, are upset and probably jealous that they have had some of their power diminished for the agenda of these guys instead. And so, so this guy and one other one, I can't remember his name off, off the top of my head, who joined with sovereign nations to speak out against social justice. So I, I say this because what I, I find it interesting that they are willing to join up with Christians who obviously they don't like, they fundamentally disagree with, they would stomp us out in any chance that they would have. And yet they're willing to, at least some of them, link arms with us because they see a greater poison to them, which is the LGBTQ movement. Um, But the sad part to me is, is I don't understand why sovereign nations is using atheists to be part of a group. I don't understand why I go to G3 conference where I'm expecting this to be Christians. I'm expecting to talk to Christian ministries. I was shocked to find out that they have brought in what they would call field experts to be part of their ministry. I don't know know how they're contracted with them or anything, but to be part of them 
in order to combat social justice. And the only thing I can get from Michael Fallon is that, well, you know, these guys are really intelligent. He has a PhD in something. I don't even know. Um, James Lindsay, Lindsay does. All I can think about is there's tons of Christians, including us, who have studied this, who understand social justice issues that could easily speak about this. And I couldn't help but feel that, that the sovereign nations guys believe the only way that they could look good in the eyes of people is by having outsiders, so to speak, being part of their intelligence committee. So well, it, dep- I, I it depends. In that. It depends on what they're doing. Like, and this is the thing that I would be curious to know what role these guys have. I mean, if they're if they're being hired because of their work with organizing cruises or something like that, that might be different than if they're being hired to. I mean, they were in the, in the one video, granted. Um, uh, but, yeah. yeah, so so let's let's get to the the issue that you and I would like to discuss because there is a, a lot of people that may not understand what social justice is. There's a lot of even believing Christians who would they they'd see the social justice issues and think, well, as Christians, we we should support social justice. It sounds like a Christian thing. So we, we should, as we get into this, we, we need to define terms and, and lay some groundwork. And because you and I both agree that the issue of social justice is very detrimental to the church. Both of us have signed the statement on social justice in the gospel, which we encourage folks to go do. Um, actually, Ethan Tanner just uh, posted that exact comment, just, just as I was saying it. Um, and so th- that's the thing that we, we would be saying to do i encourage everyone to go uh, i'm trying to remember the website offhand right now but i can look it up quick enough well it's the dallas statements yeah social justice is what it's called and you can go to that web page and sign the statement well, right if we do, yeah but the the website for it is statement on social justice.com so i encourage you to go out there and right now as of now there's what uh 12,000 signers um, because I do think that this is something that we end up seeing is going to have an effect and so um, so go go to, you could check out uh, all the aff- affirmations and denials at statement on social justice.com so with that let's let's get into some of this stuff Anthony let let's start with the fact that Social justice is not justice, all right? There's a difference when we talk about justice and social justice. So justice, we as Christians would agree with. Uh, Christians should be about promoting uh, what's just and right. We get and we know what's right and what's just from the nature of God. So the more we know about God, the more we're going to understand justice because that's part of his nature. Uh, oh, I should have said earlier, uh, we, we had Danny give, asking for a shout-out to his daughter. He was in here, uh, but then he disappeared. So, I don't know where he went. But, okay, so justice is about the issue of, you know, righting wrongs. Now, social justice is a little bit different, because this is righting wrongs that may not actually be wrongs you've done. When it comes to things like critical race theory and some of this 
intersectionality. I'm going to throw these terms out and I'm going to end up having, getting you to define some of these things so that I'm not doing all the talking. But so when we hear these terms, we have to understand that these terms have a history to them. This idea is grounded in social Marxism and you can't remove this from that. So you have to understand that this has got an underpinning that's anti-biblical, anti-Christian. Now, you're going to hear people that will say, well, we sh- I'll, I'll give a, for instance, um, James Cone, who is uh, very well known for uh, black liberation theology, critical race theory. He is the guy that everyone goes to when it comes to critical race theory. And in, in his book, he actually argues that it is it's acceptable it should be acceptable that um jewish people would be upset with the germans here's a quote that he's got it is interesting that most people understand why jews can hate germans why can they not understand why blacks who've been uh, who've been deliberately and systematically dehumanized or murdered by the structure of this this society hate white people. And now here's the thing I want you to think about. When he's writing this, James Cone in the 60s, it is true that many Jewish people hated Germans because of what they did. That's not the case today. See, Jewish people don't go on continuing to hate Germans for what their ancestors did, but that's exactly what he's arguing should be. He argues that because a group of people that died long ago dehumanized people, then all whites always in America will dehumanize all blacks. And that's just yeah. not the case. So let's let's start off with some definitions. Let, um, let me get you to define... Uh, social justice, critical race theory, intersectionality. Yeah, so let's let's um let's do some background here and uh, and this is where we want to make sure we understand the background of this terminology. So we we got Karl Marx who wrote his book back in I think it's 1848 and uh, promoted something called Marxism and in in his book, he says that he believes that the best system of government is an equal distribution of wealth. He doesn't believe in private property. And so he looked at, at um, people sold their, sold their labor, that labor became a commodity, and, and that translates into a surplus value not for the person who works, but for the business owner, the capitalist. And so he, Karl Marx, believed that there is a, uh, a conflict between what he calls the uh, proletariat, the um, working class, and the bourgeoisie, which is the ownership class. So he, he looked at this, what he believed to be an internal conflict, and he said it's not fair that the workers are not making the type of uh, money, they're not getting their fair share according to what the owner is getting. And, uh, and obviously, we understand with capitalism, there are reasons for why this happens, right? People who own businesses, of which I had for years, um, you take risk. It's your own money. It's much more work. I mean, there's a whole lot more to it, right, than just being somebody who is an owner of a business. Wait, you don't own a business anymore? No, we sold the dental practice like a year, so a year and a couple months ago now. Not only are you not a real doctor... 
you're like not even a dentist then, right? I, I'm like a nobody now. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 somehow I went from the bourgeoisie to the proletariat now. <laughs> so, and so, you know, what Marx was teaching is he believed that because there's an inherent conflict, it wasn't fair that the, that the ownership class were making much more money. Um, he believed that the wealth should actually be shared among everybody. And he believed then the way to do this was to not have private entities or private people owning um, businesses, that things should be owned literally by the government or that it should be owned across the board. So all the workers are essentially pro are, are part owners of, of the business. And so that's what he was, was teaching this equitable distribution. He wanted everything, what he would call equal. Now it's that Marxism that has found its way into literally every facet of society today. And so if you think about the word rights, that's constantly used, like people constantly say, well, it's my right to choose. It's my right to, you know, fill in the blank. Um, rights were already interjected into things because they believe that there, this is the way to get what they would consider equity or equality throughout whatever arena they are talking about. So the, the background is called cultural Marxism. Um, and so the background is Marxism with Karl Marx. Now it turned into cultural Marxism years later. And so this is what's interesting as we, as we trace through the history of some of this stuff is we get into, um, we get into this foundation in the early 1900s. So you're talking 50 to 60 years later, you have people who are picking up on Marxism as an idea and people who are promoting this idea in the background. And so it finally came to head in 1905, where it, it was called the, the Upper Room Meeting. It was in Lower Manhattan. And there were a number of people who were part of this meeting. So you had guys like uh, John Dewey, and uh, there was a, a millionaire financer. It, this is a guy who, a millionaire at the time, who would have been worth tens of millions, about hundreds of millions today. Um, all inherited wealth from his his parents. So these these guys and many others who were philosophers, socialists, and whatnot at the time had come up with some ideas, and they literally wanted to change America, make it Marxist. And they, this would be the progressive movement, the birth of the progressive movement. So this is their purpose, stated purpose, is to calculate changing America into a socialist nation and the overthrow of the Christian worldview and replace it with the ideas of Karl Marx. So this was not just an affront against the capitalism, which is a biblical thing, but it was really on Christianity altogether. See, Karl Marx was was an atheist and was a vehement um, hater of Christianity. So so it shouldn't surprise us um, <laughs> in terms of his ideas on, on Marxism in the economic realm because of that. So this is, this is this meeting that started. That meeting turned into these people becoming what's called the intercollegiate society. So this society was born many years later, you know, about 10 years later or so. And this is the society that determines how they were going to change America. And their goal was to get into the colleges and universities. 
They wanted to get in there and get teachers trained into those universities in, in socialism and then now train the younger generation. And so they theorized that within, within not too many decades, they would be able to turn the tide of America. Now, one other interesting thing is that during the same time, you had the Progressive Party, an actual, like Republicans, Democrats, you had a Progressive Party that rose during this time. And they supposedly went away in 1921, but it looks like they had just wrapped themselves into the Democrats back in the day. Well, the interesting thing is, is that the millionaire financier guy who is the money behind intercollegiate society, his wife was a major player in the progressive party. So, so they had connections throughout in this. Now, by 1917, when this intercollegiate society was really getting their, their um, feet in the door and getting some things moving, they were active on 61 campuses already. So from 1905 to 1917, active on 61 college campuses and 12 graduate schools. Many of those were Ivy League schools at the time. And so as that's going on, this is one more piece of background information happening, is there is a Baptist pastor who, whose name is Rauschenbusch. And he wrote a book in 1917 that's called A Theology for the Social Gospel. And so this is what he was teaching. He was a full-on Marxist, so he had socialistic ideas. And uh, for those of you who want to understand these terms, Marxism is the philosophy of what was taught. Socialism is getting those actually into laws, in society. So you're changing society through socialistic agendas, but the philosophy is the Marxism that promotes that. And so you have um, the philosophy here by Rauschenbusch is that Jesus' death on the cross was not about atoning sacrifice. Instead, he said his death on the cross was about social justice being. Um, Jesus dying for social justice causes or social justice issues, the perceived inequalities throughout society. And so Rauschenbusch was the first major pastor that put this into writing and was teaching it. Incidentally enough, when you look at the trail all the way up to Obama, and I find this fascinating, um, people like Bakum and others were warning people about Obama because at first it sounded like Obama was a Christian going to Christian church, right? Now, most of us knew he wasn't, but for the vast majority of people, they would say, well, he's going to Christian church. Well, Obama's pastor is Jeremiah Wright, who is a complete cultural Marxist. Jeremiah Wright, one of the guys he studied from is Martin Luther King Jr., who was a serial flatterer, who, um, who didn't believe in the atonement on the cross, I wonder where he got that from, as well as many other things. I mean, he wasn't an Orthodox Christian. He, Unless he repented on his deathbed, Martin Luther King Jr. is burning in hell today, unfortunately. Um, but Martin Luther King Jr., guess who one of his major influences was? You guessed it, Rauschenbusch from 1917. That was the connection between all of all of these guys. Now, granted, there's a lot more connections in all this, but it was it's interesting to see um, where all that comes from. Because, mind you, even though the progressive movement has been here for a long time, when is the first time that we actually heard in public people calling it a progressive movement? It was not until the second term of Obama 
that you started to hear him say this. Um, you started to hear Hillary Clinton say that and she started to run for president. Um, this is when like the coming out party, so to speak, was. But yet the groundwork was being laid for the last hundred years. So so that's kind of the background in, in social justice. Now, where things changed was you had this Rauschenbusch pastor in 1917 doing um, writing his book and promoting these ideas. This is multiplying on college campuses and just among sociologists and, and philosophers. We get to the civil rights time where granted, look, there, there were some there were a host of atrocities against people of color and and uh, things needed to be made right. There's no doubt about it. The problem is in this is in the colleges and the seminaries, especially African-American colleges and seminaries, they weren't just giving a balanced view on, on how to make things right from a biblical perspective, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Instead, what happened was we saw the literal creation of black liberation theology and critical race theory, where, where these guys literally, it was, it was, an, it, it, it was trying to um, be racist from the other aspect of it all. And um, believe it or not, this is the background as well of the Hebrew Israelites, the black Hebrew Israelites of today. They're born out of this type of stuff where it was, it was all about getting vengeance on the white man. And so when we look at uh, this black liberation theology and the social justice issues, they really got promoted in the 1950s and 1960s in the classrooms and that's what kind of bore what we see today. Now, there's one thing I left out that I just hinted at right now, and it's, and it's this. When, when Karl Marx and other philosophers after him talked about the fabric of society, the issue of social justice is this, is that it is believed that the white man, specifically the white man, European, um, middle-aged, middle-class and above type guy, is the one who created the fabric of society to hold everybody else down and oppress, in their terminology, oppress everybody. And so the social justice movement is seeking to, in their minds, correct the issues. So destroy the fabric of society and to, to correct past wrongs or perceived wrongs. And... It's, I don't know if that is helpful, Andrew, right now, before we, or if you want to say anything else before we get into some of this terminology now, because this is where our terms of intersectionality, or the term intersectionality especially, comes into play. Yeah, well, and, and I'm starting to hear a little digitizing on your voice. I don't know if the, if your internet's, I don't know, maybe someone's like watching a movie on the internet, <laughs> but yeah, da- downloading huge, huge games or something, uh, but... The uh, but but there is this is the thing when you brought up the black Hebrew Israelites and this is the thing that you end up seeing is when we talk black liberation theology we hear a lot in the news right now it's an election year so anytime there's an election year you don't have to be a prophet to realize that they're going to bring up racial issues everything's racist and we're going to hear that all Republicans are racist it's it's every four years we we hear it but when you hear this what's going on now and like you mentioned the black Hebrew Israelites we hear about white supremacy quite a bit and how wrong it is and how bad it is but let's understand 
Huh? And they're right. And they're right. But here's the yeah. problem. What, what they're promoting with black Hebrew Israelites, which are, you know, here in, in Brooklyn, you're seeing black Hebrew Israelites who are going into grocery stores and other places and, and killing Jewish people. And, you know, they, they are now no longer, you know, acknowledging that they're black Hebrew Israelites doing it. But these are black supremacists. The, the Black Panthers, yep. Black Hebrew Israelites, James Cone with the Black Liberation Theology. When you read what they're saying, if you read through what, what James Cone says, there is no way to fix this. It's, it's impossible to fix without, like you're saying, breaking down the society and recreating a society that is based completely on black values, which you and I... Being creationists, being biblicists, we don't see race. I mean, there's one race, the human race. So we don't see this as a black and white issue, that there's black values and white values. There's biblical values or Mm -hmm. Satanist values, right? I mean, they're either biblical or they're anti-biblical. They're either godly values or they're ungodly values. That's the breakup. And this is a system that is a, for those who can recognize as we can recognize, white supremacy is bad, but so is black supremacy. And that's what critical race theory is and black liberation theology. It is black supremacy. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you touch on race and and for those who might be listening now or will be listening, this is worth talking about here. Racism is not a Christian idea. Racism does not have its have its foundations in the Bible. Because according to the Bible, it's one blood, one race. For those of us who understand creation properly, who understand the Bible properly, we have every single person that has ever lived on this planet is a progeny of Adam and Eve. And so we are literally one blood, one race. So the Bible clearly speaks of one blood, one race. At the same time, though, it does speak on, as we see in Acts, I think it's 1726, Genesis 11. Um, there are people groups. There are nations that God has established the boundaries of. So, so we do see that. There are people groups. And, uh, but yet, one blood, one race. And so when we talk about Uh, these subjects, the thing that disheartens me most is this pitting of white against black or white against, I mean, really it's everybody. And, uh, and this is what we have to fix. This is what bugs me most about churches when they, when they speak to racial issues is that they first need to talk biblically. Look, I, I get the fact that there has been some wrongs. I understand the fact that there's still people that are racist in the church today. I get that. I mean, there. look, it's sin. There is sin out there. So I get those issues. The problem is, is that if churches don't start with truth and they don't establish truth, then anything goes, essentially. So we've got, we've got to correctly speak about race before we do anything. Now, this is this would be a good um, segue now into one of our terms here. And uh, one of those terms is intersectionality. And so this is one I wish I had a slide to put up for, for everybody to watch. But this is, this is what's really alarming to me, is people in this social justice movement believe that the more oppressed you appear to be, 
or the more oppressed groups you belong to, the more voice you should have in speaking out. And the less oppressed groups that you are part of, the less voice you should have. And so the five big ones in intersectionality are these categories, disability, sexuality, racial identity, gender, and nationality. So when we look at nationality, if you are European, you're at the bottom of the barrel. If you're male in gender, you're at the bottom of the barrel. If you are in what they would call racial identity, if you are Caucasian, you are bottom of the barrel. If you are heterosexual and homosexual or whatever else they have now, um, you're bottom of the barrel. And if you're not disabled, bottom of the barrel. So what I often do in churches when I teach on this subject is for anybody who is a white, male, European background, heterosexual, and not disabled, and, you know, we can throw another one in there, middle to upper class, you are not only not belonging to any oppressed group, but you are actually the oppressor yourself. And it's your fault that society is the way it is today. And you're the one that we need to punish and hopefully steal from in order to make things right. That's that's what they teach with this intersectionality. So in the intersectionality now, if you are a... Let's change one thing on this. Let's say instead of a male, you're female. So you are a female, white, European, middle to upper class, heterosexual, who's not disabled. You are now somebody who has a point. You have, you're belong to one oppressed group, and so you have an ability to speak a little bit, and people should hear you a little bit. You want to know why Elizabeth Warren was so adamant that she was Native American? Well, it's because Elizabeth Warren is white, female, heterosexual, upper class. She's very wealthy, um, European-type backgrounds. I don't, I don't I hear thought, it all, Andrew. I thought, it, she, was, I thought it was because she wanted to get, you know, those scholarships when she went to college. <laughs> so, Well, she might have wanted that, too, but the reality yeah. is today... If well, she today she's got to keep the American, she needs she to keep the lie going now. Yes, yeah, I mean now she's just got to keep the lie going. Yeah, even even though the genetic testing said something, right? Um, <laughs> that she was a Native American, uh, she's still she's still going to hang on to as much as she can for that reason. And so this is what intersectionality is: the more oppressed groups you belong to, the more you should be listened to. Which means then that, like, if you want to be the chosen one to be able to speak on anything you wish, then it, it would be great for you to be, you know, African descent and female, homosexual or something else, um, low class to middle class. Like you are somebody who is hitting it on all cylinders in terms of oppressed groups and you should be able to have the loudest voice, which is exactly what we see today is they are given the loudest voice. And so this is intersectionality. The scary part is, is number one, biblically speaking, there is one of two groups that we read in the Bible today. We read about the group that everybody's born into, which is the family of Adam. 
which is also called the sons of wrath, sons of disobedience, sons of perdition. I mean, there's a number of terms for that, right? But that's not a good family <laughs> to be a part of. And, um, and then when God opens your eyes, grants you repentance and faith, and you get saved, you are now adopted into sonship with Jesus Christ. You are now um, co-heirs with Christ in the eternal kingdom. And so that's the other family you belong to. But that's all the Bible teaches is those two families. <clears throat> all people are made in the image of God, right? So we see that connection among everybody. The voice that we have is in relation to what the Bible teaches. So as Christians, we understand what truth is. We understand um, where true knowledge comes from. We understand what um, the foundation of that truth is, which is God himself and his revealed truth in scriptures. That's, that's where our foundations have to be when we speak in churches. This is where foundation, foundation has to be as Christians when we go speak to the unbelieving world is foundational to truth in the Bible. Now, having said all that, this is what's scary. In, in, 2000, in 2019, last year, the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest denomination today and still the most solid denomination today, which is not saying a whole lot, um, they had a resolution. And this is Resolution 9. I'm going to read a portion of it to you here. It says that critical race theory and intersectionality, so we've talked about both of those terms now, have been appropriated by individuals with worldviews that are contrary to the Christian faith, resulting in ideologies and methods that contradict Scripture. Okay, wonderful. So we have leadership and others who believe that this that these terms and the philosophies behind them is, is dead set against the Bible, contradicts Scripture, can't get any worse than that, right? But then they go on. Two paragraphs later, it says this, that critical race theory and intersectionality should only be employed as analytical tools. So here, they've, they've looked at these two things and said, not biblical at all. And then, out of the other side of their mouth, say that we should use these as, or could use these as analytical tools. So think about this. You could very well see in the next couple of years, for those churches that don't leave the Southern Baptist Convention, where they're going to be rated in terms of how social, socially woke they are. We may have to explain that term to everybody today, but how socially woke they are based on intersectionality, which means that they better have enough people in representative groups of all those things that we talked about earlier. You better have a fair mix of, of white and color, so to speak. Um, you better have a, a fair mix of European descent and other descents. You better have a fair, a, a pretty good mix of male and female, which is pretty typical in church anyway. You should have, get this one, you should have a mix of heterosexual, homosexual, transgender, and whatever else is out there also is part of your church. Because if you don't have all of these things, these groups represented in your church, well, guess what? You aren't the ones who have a voice, and guess what? You're actually part of the problem. So that's how... That's this, the danger in intersectionality and how they want to apply it to the group or possibly apply it to the group. And obviously, critical race theory follows the same way, is that, is that with intersectionality, critical race theory says, as we said earlier, that it's white people 
that, again, white people with European backgrounds, middle-aged, uh, middle-class or higher, like they're the ones that have, have made the fabric of society to be able to oppress everybody else. And, and they're going to employ that to the churches to determine how the churches um, look as are they an oppressor or are they somebody who has been oppressed? Absolutely downright dangerous. So I don't know if you have anything to add, Andrew, on, uh, on that portion there of social justice. Well, I mean, I think that for, cause the, the terminology that unfortunately needs to be clarified when we talk about this is for some people, this is new. You mentioned woke. I actually think woke should be those who believe in the Bible because they woke from an unbiblical view being a child of Satan to, you know, a child of God. Right. But the, yeah, I mean, kind of like late Lazarus being woke from the dead, right? Yeah, yeah, from <laughs> darkness to light. Darkness uh, but, to light. Uh, but yeah. woke, no. woke has this idea You're that dead in your sins now made alive in Christ. Yeah, okay, go <laughs> But but the idea of being woke is this idea that someone is uh, they've woken up to the to the reality that they're racist or that all whites are racist. That right. Um, in, and they'll they'll talk about this as an, a it's an inherent racism that they, you may not even realize you have it, but you are you're racist you, you, even if you don't realize it. Uh, that's what you end up seeing with this. Now, what I caution and and we're because I do want to start discussing how this is going to affect the church because you already mentioned the Southern Baptist. There's others that are further along, but. What you end up seeing in this is the fact that this is influencing the church. This is people are using this to uh, to basically. Well, the Southern Baptists want to use it as a way of of as a measure for the church. There's others who want to use this to destroy the church. Some don't, and many don't even realize that's going to be the goal because this, the message of of intersectionality is antithetical to the Bible. The message of intersectionality is, look at me, I'm a victim. Oh, woe is me, poor me. Uh, because I'm such a victim, you have, to, you have to value me more. Rather than valuing a person because they're made in the image of God. See, it's right. very different with this. Very different mindset. When, when we're focusing on who can claim more selfishness for themselves, because that's really what intersectionality is. I want to be heard more. I want to count more. I want my, what I say to have more merit, more value, because I'm this, 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 and this. And everybody is trying to find how they are more oppressed than the next person. This is exactly what, in, in a way we can look at, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, you end up seeing Paul addressing when there were people that were saying they had spiritual gifts, and they're using these gifts and going, oh, look how spiritual I am. You can see this when, when Paul is addressing, oh, you're from a, you know, Apollos, and you're of Paul, and you're of Christ. And it's, people are always looking in, in a prideful way, because that's what this is, to say, look, I am better than the next guy because I'm more oppressed. I'm more a victim. This is antithetical to the scriptures. We are saved out of that. Not saved 
to be victims. We're saved out of that to be children of God. And this is why I do not think this can work within the church setting. It is it is anti-biblical. And th- this is where you and I have a, a agreement here with this is we see this as a danger and a threat to both the gospel and to the local church. Well, yeah. I, I mean, in the end, th- that's really what it comes down to. And obviously, there's a lot of other stuff kind of in between. So so let's talk to well, some let, of this. Hey, hey, put, uh, we well, got a comment here. Yeah, Ethan, Ethan uh, Tanner is saying, G- Jesus was oppressed, so maybe they should go back to Jesus and believe in him. <laughs> you know, and that's right. I mean, you know... You know, Donnie says, if you don't like the racist, racism language, then you're a racist. And he's hitting the nail on the head here because this is the issue. If you don't agree with them, there's something wrong with you. You don't even recognize how racist you are. And, you know, I honestly, Andrew, I mean, look at us, you know. Yeah, we're two white guys. We got to get, I see Jamal is in here. Two white guys, European background, middle class, heterosexual, non-disabled. Like, we shouldn't have a voice whatsoever today. Well, okay, let's, let's, at least I'm Jewish, so, you know, we got that. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) But here's the argument, and this is a fun argument. When you, you, you can start to realize what this is really about. Jewish people are not considered they're not a victim status why because they have money and they're educated where did they get the money because they focused on education they focused on being frugal so that they could have the money right so it's so it's kind of an interesting thing how they'll say well certain groups can't be even though they were like you know uh, six million of them killed in just a generation ago so you know and and here's how it works melissa has a good point victimization seems to work for Beth Moore. And that's exactly, she's exactly right. This is why no one touches Beth Moore. Because she's a woman who claims to have been abused, which I question. I'm sorry, I have to. She doesn't act like someone who, you know, who doesn't, uh, who, who acts like they've been abused. Um, Chris Chris says, I don't get, she says, Andrew doesn't get to be a victim. Okay, Chris. He's playing victim status there. Um, yeah. Ethan says, what about the babies that are being murdered every day? Well, hey, how come they don't get victim status? Right? Shouldn't they get victim status? So, Absolutely. You know, so, so what you see, though, with Beth Moore is a great example, because in the church you have people who are claiming, well, I'm a victim, and therefore you can't, you can't question what I do. Or what you're starting to see is, in, we're going. We are returning to segregation, and which is very interesting, and it's happening within the churches, where they're now saying, "Well, we have to have, you know, we we have to have black only churches, and you know that whites have to understand black worship, and now all of a sudden you you have to accept not only accept but as with everything else celebrate, you know, someone else. In the case we think of with LGBT, you have to celebrate their sin. In this case, it's the matter that you can't be an individual that is outside of what the culture is saying you must believe. You know? Yeah. So, you know, what I find interesting all this, too, is you're bringing up your, uh, you know, Jewish status. <laughs> is and you're about you to be handicapped, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, on, you're on, you know, 
You're only working limited hours here, you know, Mr. Uh, I can't use my hands. I know. I mean, I would, I would be careful. Listen, folks. I don't know what's going on with it. Listen, listen. I think everybody watching and listening will agree with me that you do not want to go to a dentist who's struggling with carpal tunnels. I mean, when that drill is in your mouth, oh, sorry. You know, I can't. I didn't have the grip on the drill there. Yeah, <laughs> not a good you thing. Know, and that's, well, that's why I'm working limited hours because I can go about four hours a day and still have strength after that. It starts to go. I'm like, I can't do it. Okay, but, so um, the last so patient of the day. Make sure you're not the last patient. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're doing really good at the office of, of limiting the hours and limiting procedures so that it doesn't happen. <laughs> but it's crazy. It came out of nowhere. You know, four or five months ago. I it's really just strange, but. Okay, back to back to some real stuff now. <laughs> so, you know, Vodibachim and other guys who are not white Europeans are being called white oppressors. And so that's what's interesting about this whole intersectionality thing is it's if you speak against them, you're automatically bottled totem pole. Now, who in general is speaking out against the social justice stuff? Well, it's Christians. And, and make no mistake about it, the same way that Karl Marx, his his number one hatred was not against the economic climate of the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. His number one enemy is Christianity, or was Christianity, and uh, and that's that is the enemy today. So social justice, you can you can actually be black and middle class and you know, or, or mid-black, middle-class, or lower, whatever else. And technically, you should be in all of these oppressed groups. But the moment you are a biblical Christian, by default, you now have zero points and have literally no voice. And that's that's the real problem. Unless, of course, you capitulate to the movement. So people like Beth Moore, it, there's no doubt the reason why she changed her position on homosexuality, which... I know we can't officially say that, but anytime you have books written 10 years ago or so, and then you'll wipe the slate clean on Kindle, you know, not too many months ago when you're questioned about this publicly, there's no doubt that, that she's gaining people in oppressed groups, which kind of rubs off on her and uh, it will allow her to prosper even more in her false prosperity movement and, and, and uh, everything else that she teaches. So, so, this is where um, I think things get really interesting because the social justice movement, um, as they've infiltrated the churches, they are taking anti-God, anti-biblical ideas, trying to shove them into the church. And in doing so, they are trying to use Bible verses in, 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 uh, in making us believe that it's a biblical uh, thing. And so, I mean, think about how much we cringe when we listen to a Hillary Clinton or, or Nancy Pelosi um, quote a Bible verse, right? <laughs> and usually they misquote it or, or have a wrong interpretation as they give it, right? We, we've seen this countless times with, with uh, especially Democrats over the last couple of years. And it comes down to postmodernism. And so I know we've talked on the show and, and others have talked on the show in the past about um, postmodernism or relativism, which is your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. We can both be right about the same thing. 
Well, there's something called deconstructionism, which is a, a large part of relativism. And it goes like this. When we walk into art museums, I know when I took an art class back in college, we are taught today to look at the art and say, well, what does that mean to me? What does, that, what does that look like to me? Rather than doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is looking at the art and saying, what was the artist or the painter trying to convey to me looking at it all these years later? Right? That's what we're supposed to be looking at. Now, that philosophy of deconstructionism has really invaded all areas of society because that is part of postmodernism. You are reinterpreting things in your own eyes. So now let's take that and bring it to the Bible. And so how many of you have been in a Bible study in the past, especially if you were in a weaker church and you, and you um, ended up leaving to go to a stronger church, or maybe uh, you weren't saved and you are going to church for years? Um, you may have recognized this as your Bible study. Um, five, six people sitting around a, around a table, and the leader of the Bible study says, hey, here's uh, this verse, I'm going to read it to you. And then what does this mean to you? And then you go to the next person, what does this mean to you? And they all have different interpretations, and all you do is say, oh, that's nice you believe that. That's nice you believe that. And, and everybody can be right about their personal belief about this verse. Instead of looking at the Bible verse and saying, what is the, what is the author, God, trying to convey to me in this verse or this passage? Right? So deconstructionism has come into the church in this way. And in doing so, you have social justice people that are reinterpreting all kinds of verses and, and uh, passages for social justice. And so you'll see things like this problem today, which is us white oppressors, we are responsible for slavery 150 to 250 years ago. And so even, we have to even when we didn't. Even when we didn't have any family members who right. were slave owners, right? I mean, my family's Russian and Romanian. There were no slaves that they had, but somehow I'm still responsible for it. Your family's Italian. Yeah, my dad was so, born there. My uh, my mom's parents were born there, like in Italy. So yeah, we have no family that was that was here. Yeah, but but and, yet uh, because of the lack of melanin in your skin that automatically makes it where you're somehow, whether you realize it or not, racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's, that's part of the issue, right? The other part of the issue is, is that you have um, African-Americans. Now, look, guys, I, I can't remember which podcast. I think it's the Just Thinking podcast. But one of those podcasts, which is African-Americans doing the podcast, they, they did a lot of research on slavery. And they have an estimate that's literally in the single digits, the amount of the percentage of, of people in this country that are actually ancestors that are, that are living descendants of actual slaves. So you have a really small percentage of, of people who are slaves. You actually have a really small percentage of, of whites that can trace their ancestry back to slave owners. So virtually nobody alive today in America even has relatives, let alone the fact that what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that are we responsible for somebody else's sins? No. Every man's appointed once to die and then judgment. We're going to be responsible for our own sins. 
will we stand in front of God? We read this through in, in several passages in Deuteronomy, Exodus, and other areas of the Bible where each person is responsible for their own sin. And so what you have these uh, cultural Marxists doing is they're saying, well, wait a minute, we've got something called institutional sin or generational sin, right? They're equating the two. And so they're saying that with this, with this um, generational sin in the Bible, they are telling people that the children and grandchildren are responsible for the sins of their grandfather, a father and grandfather. And if you read carefully, you will realize what generational sin actually is in the Bible. Generational sin is that you've got great-grandparents that have some sin that they constantly commit. And because of that, there's a much higher, higher likelihood that their children will also do the same sin on their own. And their children and their children, that goes on. And so it's a generational sin in the context of you are watching other people do it. They're the people that are closest to you that you spend the most time with, and so you might end up doing the same sins. And yet, the Bible in those same passages will say that, yet each person is only responsible for their own sin. And that generational sins can be broken when the kid, when the children don't do the sins of their, father, of their parents and grandparents. So that's been completely maimed. We also see this issue of reparations, that um, because we whites are all the oppressors, yeah, sorry, I get leg cramps or something. I'll keep moving. Um, because we are the oppressors, that we must give reparations. We must give money to um, African Americans because of the slave trade and because of the white fabric of society that has not not only caused them to be slaves 150 years ago, but also has oppressed them all these years because of the fabric of society. And so they will often use Bible passages like the passages of Zacchaeus. They'll say, well, look, when, and, and this this is the I want to say this here because Andrew this is I think this is the biggest issue of them all. When we read about the gospel in the Bible, we see the gospel everywhere. The gospel is plainly, clearly, succinctly stated in First Corinthians fifteen. So I love it when I have the Campus Crusade people, now called Crew, come up to me on college campuses while preaching. And, you know, you always know when it's them because they come up to you and they stand there and they're like, hey, you know, um, as soon as you get off the box, right, your buddy gets up. Oh, you know, uh, we just want to say we're glad you're here and uh, I'm glad you're here for Jesus, but uh, you're doing it all wrong. Okay, what do you mean I'm doing it all wrong? And, you know, I always know what it's going to be. It's because you're not teaching about God's love. And so, of course... The first thing you do is say, well, what's the gospel? And you go to 1 Corinthians 15. Because you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writing to the church of Corinth says, this is the gospel I preach to you unless you believe in vain. Christ died for his sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. Rauschenbusch, as I said earlier, back in 1917 in his book, said that the gospel is not about Jesus' death and resurrection, atoning for sin. It was to make the world a socially just place. The exact same thing that is being said today. Well, they also take it in this other direction. They say, well, you know, you can't actually have true repentance unless you do something. Do a, so that even works to repentance. And, and specifically, they say that, that um, white man, you must repent of your generational, quote-unquote, institutional sin, and not only must you repent for institutional sin, you also must pay money 
in order for your repentance to be effectual and for the gospel to be able to be applied to you. I mean, this is this is absolutely ludicrous. So, of course, they go to the Zacchaeus and they say, well, look, Zacchaeus paid back um, people four times the amount that he was given or that, that he had, had stolen. And, of course, we go and look at the Bible um, historical account of Zacchaeus, and what do we see? That Zacchaeus himself was the defrauder. Zacchaeus himself was the one who defrauded people, and Zacchaeus himself went and paid back fourfold the people he actually defrauded. That is so very different than what is being taught today about the social justice movement and what we are supposed to be doing. So they believe that reparations are to be paid because of slavery, but also in general to whoever they consider to be minority, which is all the oppressed groups, um, based on the fact that it's our fabric society that has oppressed them. Yeah, I mean, the thing that you see with Zacchaeus, because they always use that, and yet Zacchaeus voluntarily gave back because of what he did wrong, not what someone else did wrong, what he did wrong. That's the but other big portion. Of that. He, it was, that it was voluntary, which is what, what they're doing with the reparations. They want to demand people who never owned slaves and never had anything to do with it, they should have to pay. So let me, I'm going to bring in Andrew from uh, Down Under. Uh, so Andrew, welcome. He's, he's from Australia. You can see it's still light there because the, the earth is flat and the sun is just on his side of the disc there. Huh? No. No, no, no. No, okay. Far from it. Then I got you confused. Yeah, sorry, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> what did you, I didn't hear. What did you ask him? No. I, I, thought, I thought he was... I thought he was the Catholic guy that's... Um, oh, no, 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 we don't... Yeah, no, 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 we don't allow the uh, traditional Catholic in anymore because he, I forget what he, he... He wouldn't answer a question. I think he called me a liar, and he wouldn't uh, He wouldn't support the case, so he just said, that's it, he's done. Uh, we don't let him I mean, in he's anymore. He's at times. Yeah, he just kept asking everyone the same question, going, no Calvinist can answer my question. And every single guest apologist answers it, and he goes, no, Calvinist can answer Are you ignoring that everyone's answering it? But anyway, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, if they're going to try and compare it to um, Zacchaeus, what about the rich young fool that runs away when he realizes he's going to have to sell everything he's got? That's another dead comparison we could give. Yeah. Yeah. Would it not? Yeah, no, I mean, because what you see with... Yeah, because Jesus doesn't condemn the rich young ruler because of the fact that he's got money. He he says to give away everything. It's clear in the context. The, the This guy's trying to say, okay, how do I have it get eternal life? And, and Jesus is saying, well, what does the law say? Obey the law. And, and he's, oh, I've kept all of it. So he's never lied, he's never stolen, nothing. And so Jesus goes to the heart of the matter of his idol. And so it's not an issue of he's saying, oh, you money is the problem, you get rid of your money and you go to heaven. That's not what Jesus was saying there. Jesus, being omniscient, can also say things like that and understand a little bit more. That you and I don't have the advantage of omniscience to know what someone's going to say, you know, and do, so... Uh, any any other questions? 
Um, Beth Moore, not familiar with her. Where is she on the scale of the prosperity doctrine? That's a good question. So, I don't fully understand it. Okay, so Beth Moore is a Southern Baptist convention. She's part of the Southern Baptist convention. She is, I'll tell you why I think Beth Moore is so dangerous, is because she's in conservative Christian circles. And so she mm-hmm. is someone who is in the conservative circles, and yet she is hanging around with, you know, Joyce Meyer and, and, uh, uh, Oh, what's her name? Schreier. Uh, Priscilla Schreier. Yeah, yeah, Priscilla Schreier. So you, you see her hanging out with Word of Faith people and, call, and, and calling them mm-hmm. friends and giving credibility to them. And yet she's doing that, you know, while saying she's still conservative. So she says she's a yeah. complementarian, but yet she's really defends egalitarian. So you know, it's it's one of these things where you have to you have to sit there and realize that she's always playing games with her words, um, and she's never found a Bible like a verse she can get in context, like ever. Like a cake and eat it too. Yeah, which if you've been listening to my podcast. <laughs> Uh, my rap report podcast. I, I asked that of Al Mohler because he's trying to have his cake and eat it too with Beth Moore, uh, and that that would actually Andrew, if you haven't listened oh. to the rap report um, podcast, check that out um, because I do have one there about having your cake and eating it too. You trying to share your screen, okay. Anthony? No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I was I was actually much curious on the flat Earth map if he could. Um, get a zoom lens for us because see, see right you would be right about here right yeah well, so maybe you can maybe you can zoom in for us to the edge of the earth where <laughs> the water is falling off <laughs> well can i point out the curve <laughs> oh. can i point out the curve absolutely all right so do you <laughs> have and, gravity andrew do you have any other questions um, so, let me say this about Beth Moore as well. I mean, I call her in the prosperity yeah. movement. Um, her bigger issue, I mean, she's in that movement, no doubt. Her bigger issue is she believes she gets direct revelation from God, and she teaches that. Um, so Justin Peters has videos of her where she claims Jesus is sitting next to her, calling her honey and babe as he's about to tell her new revealed information. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's Looney Tunes, literally. And, uh, and people buy into this stuff. Well, I like, I like so, what Chris says here. Chris Hanholz from uh, Voice of Reason Radio. Beth Moore is conservative like I am Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And we know Santa Claus doesn't exist because mom and dad always told us they gave us the presents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we and he, knew the Easter bunny didn't exist because after age 12 our grandfather bought us the Easter eggs Chris has proof here you go Anthony proof that the, anyway. that the earth's not flat If Chris Hanhol says if the earth were flat well you know he always corrects my grammar I, I'm going to have to call that if the earth was flat cats would have knocked everything off of it yeah, so, <laughs> alright yeah, the other way to prove it is you just go watch a Russian Air Force clip where they let you go up into MiG twenty nine. Actually, there's there is an easy way to test for a flat Earth, a very easy way. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. If the Earth was flat and you had the sun going around a disc, 
you you would not be able to see two sunrises. What do I mean by that? Go watch a sunrise. Stand up. Watch the sun just mm-hmm. as it gets over the horizon. Lie down on the ground, and you can watch a second sunrise. Now, what changed? If it was yeah. a, if it was a we'll disc circling, you wouldn't have that. Only if it's a sphere. The other thing you could do is go to a mountain range when the sun is rising, and you'll see that the 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 sun gives a you know, you'll see the shadow, and you'll see the sunlight hitting the peaks of the mountains, and it slowly comes down. Uh, if it was a disc, you'd see mm-hmm. it going, you know. You'd see it horizontal, or sorry, vertical, not horizontal. But well, let's. Yeah. I'm going to put you into the backstage here, Andrew. And uh, I think next up was the Duns. So, although now their camera's off, I don't know if they're still there now. Oh, there they go. They they, they can't they can't figure out their, if they're right side up or not. They think they're in down under with Andrew there. They think they're in Australia, so they're just upside down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are we upside down? That'd be really funny. You actually. are. <laughs> is that a shower curtain behind you guys, or is that video's right side up? Oh no, you're upside you down. For you thought you thought the uh, she thought the video was upside down. Hey, we were having some technical difficulties anyway. So, or is is it All like right. a phone, or is it a camera, or like a camera on your computer, or is it a phone? Yeah, that's what she 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 thought the camera no, was ah. upside down. Yeah, well, no. We're just on a phone. Well, we're on a phone. Are we really upside, upside down? down? No, we're not. Just go like phone. that. Okay. Yeah, you are. He's He's you'll see later. You. There you go. Oh. Yeah, that's that was our problem. Okay. I told you they were telling the truth. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Always right, listen to your wife. So, what question do you got right. for for Anthony? Okay, um, can you guys hear us okay? It's a little bit choppy for us. We might have slow internet. Sounds fun. So I'm a little bit... Okay. I'm a little bit hung up on intersectionality. Um, my husband Cameron was telling me about different things, and I was listening, and there's sounds like kind of like a point system, and some things I was a little bit confused about, like, you know, if you're black or transgendered or Muslim, like, there's different points, and... Um, or even points based on kind of going back to the heritage thing. Like, I don't know if my family's been here since the American Revolution. I know my mom's side of the family was in the north. My dad's side was in the south. And so I'm kind of hung up on if there was a white man that didn't kill himself, kind of like Epstein, where'd he fall on the point system? (laughs) Essentially, you're asking who killed Epstein. Yeah. Anthony? (laughs) Well, uh, let me make sure I don't have any guns pointed at me. (laughs) I don't know, because I don't want to be number uh, 54. That's not real. He he lives in Jersey. You're not allowed to have him. (laughs) Still fake. Well, Andrews, Andrews can't be loaded anyway. If he were to put, you know, the bullets and the gun in the same place at the same time in his state, he'd probably be in trouble. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. You know, his state is so restrictive that if you you can't drive in your car with a gun unless you are going to and from a gun range, a show, or to uh, or you just bought it and bringing it home. 
Yeah. You can't transport. It's and, ridiculous. And because, we're limited yeah. we're limited to ten round magazines. That's it. That's it. No more. Because just actually the governor tried in our state to get <laughs> See, that looks just like mine. You mean? Yeah, thirteen rounds. Yeah, it's just a little, little small thing. Is that the is that the forty three, the Glock forty three, or is that nineteen? No, so it's a forty five caliber H and K USP. Ah, that's nice. Um, But I know she did have another question. Do you want to ask that other question? Hey, wait, hold it. What other question? Hey, wait, Joyce Meyer thing, or what was it, Beth Moore? Oh. No, you know, you, you know what else we're not, you know what else we're not allowed to have in this state. Beth Moore and super offended. You know, yeah, you know what else we're not allowed to have in this state. How many people I hear about get offended? I get offended about Beth Moore stuff, and a lot of people are in shock about it. I, yeah, yeah. I offend my family. Yeah, like so actually, or churches, <laughs> churches we've gone to. I'm like, that's probably not. Um, she's a heretic, but. Oh, the conversations ended. Oh, bye. <laughs> you know, Liz, That's especially as a girl, even. Yeah. No, you know what? And the thing is, is that there are good female teachers out there. Yeah, there are good female teachers out there. You know, Susan Heck, Martha Peace are two of them. Um, Amy Spreeman is, is good with discernment. So there's people that females, if they want females to learn from, they're out there. Beth Morris is one of them. Well, yeah. Beth so Moore, she is the darling, though. She's the darling of the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, and uh, and she's been the darling for a long time. Beth Moore hasn't found. Well, and a- it's kind of the same thing as is like, like why, why if you're a woman and you want to do a women's Bible study, why do you have to learn from a girl? What what you know? What makes the difference? You could learn in a woman's Bible study from a woman teacher or a man teacher. I don't see why they're like, well, if we're ladies, we want to learn from a lady. I guess sometimes it could be helpful for a certain point of view, but I don't know why it's so important. I'm with you. I I think that, uh, I I don't think it's a hundred percent (laughs) necessary, you know, but, um, whatever, one of those things, you know, what the issue, the issue is, is that, the, a lot of the times what you see with someone like Beth Moore, the reason they're so popular is they are not actually teaching the Bible. They're teaching emotionalism. And for a lot of ladies, they prefer the emotion. It's, it's more of how it's being said than what's being said. It's, my, my wife doesn't like going to lady, ladies' Bible studies because she's like, they're all full of fluff. G- give me a pastor's conference. <laughs> you know, That's what she'd prefer. And and it's really simple. Why? Because she she wants to get truth. And if you're interested in just fluff, then you're going to like Beth Moore, because that's all she is. I mean, Beth Moore hasn't found a Bible verse that she ever found the context to. You know, not even back in the old days. I don't know. I I, I mean, yeah. I mean, she's just like always finding like, oh, let's let's grab this verse up. Oh, and we'll grab a uh, meaning over here and just slam it together. Like we'll just make it up out of thin air. Now, now she just gets revelation. I feel like I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Any, I feel anytime I've ever heard her talk, I've never thought it was, you know, even, you know, that great, uh, at all. Every time it's always been something where it sounds like something I could hear from any Joe Schmo from Bible study where they say, what does this mean to you? And it's just <laughs> Beth Moore, Here's what this Bible verse means to me. I've never found her 
I don't know, intriguing at all. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I've like ever listened to her to see what but you don't craziness have emotion. she said. You're a yeah. robot, and girls who are tuned into emotion are very easily manipulated by the stories she uses and using the emotion with those stories to then tack on a Bible verse. And then they go, oh, you're so right. Oh, my goodness. That emotion is exactly what I felt as a mother. It's like she gets points talking kind of about the point system. She's a, a woman. She uses Bible verses. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, motherhood and, and Bible. So she's got everything I need. And it's so well organized, I guess you would say. So like, hey, this brings you step by step. My sister, right? Sorry, random cat in the back. Um, my sister um, recently was promoting her book and I was trying to talk to her about it, but she really didn't want to hear it. She's like, no, she has a book about John, and it's really, really good. So I haven't read it, but of course, but maybe I should see this. Well, I like what Jess says. Jess says, the only thing I know about Beth Moore was when she was told to go home from John. <laughs> uh, a little out of context, too. But. Yeah, yeah. But um, all right. So, so Cameron, you have anything else? Any other questions? You re- you want to know sorry, who killed I it. You're Epstein? Up. Our internet's not that great. Uh, all right. Well, I'll put you in the backstage. Let us know if you want to come in again. All right. All right. Next up was Mr. Watkins. Whoa. And it's a bit, look. He's just he he doesn't have his camera on, so I guess he's just a big white dot. He's a big white dot. All right. Well, while we wait for him to turn his camera on, we could talk about him. Um, so, you know, Whoa. now he's sideways, what? he's sideways What? and beardless. Well, because Frank what? wants to look like him. Yeah. His, his, we can't hear you though, James. Oh, he said enough. <laughs> yeah. He said enough by shaving his beard. What it is, is Frank Mullis wanted to look like him. So he now shaved his beard so he could look different than Frank. That's what I think. Did you lose the bet? Did you lose the what happened? So while he I figures didn't think out, there'd be a day that I would have more facial hair than James Watkins. Yeah. So <laughs> while while he figures out how to get his mic to work, because we can't hear him. I don't even think so. I recognize him. <laughs> I mean, if he didn't say his name, I don't think I would know. So we had the Duns were upside down. He's sideways. So he got an interview. I I I don't know if you heard the story about this, Anthony, but he got an interview at G three with. James White. Did you hear how he got that interview? Yeah, yeah. He told me a little bit, and then uh, Frank filled me on the rest of the details today. And uh, wait, Frank? How did Frank know? Frank wasn't there. So <clears throat> what? What happened? Yeah, we can't hear you. So, but it allows us to tell a story about you without you interrupting us. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, listen. The, people are going to have to understand this part of <clears throat> of this. So, James White needed to use a restroom. And one of the things at an event like G3 is, you know, it's hard for certain guys, you know, and you've seen this with, with Justin Peters, it's hard for them to walk around anywhere without people stopping, wanting to get a photo, wanting to share how much their, their, the ministry impacted them. He, you know, James White really needed to get to the restroom and didn't want to be stopped by anybody to take a photo or something until afterwards. So... He stopped by the Striving for Eternity booth and he saw James and he just said, I need someone big and ugly to get me to the bathroom without anybody bothering me. And James went, I'm your man. 
So he was big and ugly, and he took James to the bathroom. Uh, and there's probably too much information right there. But no one did stop him. No one, no one bothered for a photo or anything like that. And, uh, and so he came, you know, when he came out of the bathroom, you know, James just said, well, you think that was worth an interview? <laughs> and they went back to the table and started recording. So yeah. James thinks you have him muted. You have him yeah, muted. no, I don't have him. He's, he's not muted on my end. It, okay. it, it's, it's user error on his end. But wow. try, okay, he went out, so he'll come back in. I'll add Aaron in. So, Aaron, welcome. Well, hello. Oh, see, now he sounds really good. He's What What kind of mic are you using? This is a Positronics gaming headset. Ah, there you go. He, see, you sound better than Anthony. Now, I hear I, a little bit of reverb of myself. I'm not really sure. That's, that's what I'm hearing, too. Yeah. Wait, you still hearing it? I still hear you, but there's some reverb in there. Huh. Okay, I'll figure it out. But anyway, let's see. So, what's your question? While you figure it well, out, I don't think I'm going to be able to figure it out because I have no idea what's causing it. But I was wondering because I'm, yeah, I'm a I'm a relatively new to the scene YouTuber in this sort of Christian YouTube community, and I focus on the sort of uh, science and philosophy barriers that a lot of the atheist YouTube communities battling against. So. I was wondering what your guys' thoughts are on that and how that's relevant to the sort of, I guess you could call it the culture war with respect to the politics side of it, because I know those are technically separate issues, but they seem to go hand in hand. A lot of the the secular community uses those two tools as their sort of premi justification for rejecting theism and Christianity. Well, I mean, presuppositionally, I'm going to say that you can only do science um, because of God and uh, that they borrow from our worldview in order to do science. And so that's my, that'd be my first thing. Um, when I talk to people as college students, professors, whomever, who, who talks about science and they try to pit science against the Bible, um, I will kindly point out how they can do science. And so I usually will walk them through the issues of, um, you know, why is it you can do, when, when we do science and use the scientific method, we have to be able to do tests that are that te- we observe something, right? We do tests, we repeat the tests, and um, we verify tests in order for uh, hypothesis to, to become a theory. Well, here's the issue: is that in order to do that science in tests, you have to assume laws of nature, like laws of chemistry, laws of math, laws of physics. You have to assume those from the get-go. Doesn't make sense in a random chemical chance universe. Um, we have a very orderly universe, orderly human bodies. <laughs> Why? You know, we have an ability to use our sense of reason and um, our sense of touch and sight and hearing. All these things are necessary to be able to do science. Only in our worldview can we trust those senses in order to do science. And so this is, now I'm, I'm kind of putting everything that I would talk about over a five or 10 minute period of time into a 20 second soundbite. But, but the point is, is this is what I would talk to somebody about is that you can't separate the Bible and science. Okay. Uh, no. So that's pretty much my perspective. I I'm new to your guys' streams. So I've liked what I've seen so far. So I kind of joined right at the politics part. <laughs> um, and I had a conversation with, have you guys seen street epistemology? On YouTube, it's like this kind of growing thing where people will live interview people walking past them on the street, and usually they'll ask them what they want to talk about. And most people in the states, 
if you want to talk about something like close and personal to you, it ends up being religion and most people are Christians. So that's the vast majority of them are. And I saw this guy, he, his channel's called street knowledge. And, um, I really liked this format. I mean, he, he's an agnostic. So I reached out to him like, Hey, I'd like to talk to you, but I'm not going to see you on the street. So we talked over Streamyard, and, uh, I, I pretty much did a lot. What you said is their approach and their sort of, uh, I guess you could say evidentiary standard for why they say they don't believe in God is based on a sort of empiricism and expectation that God would be like the natural world where there's this sort of deterministic expectation where you can make predictions, but God's not like that. And that's sort of my argument point. You guys can, if you, I don't know if you guys ever get the chance, but if you want to check that out, just search my name and YouTube. And uh, we talk about the rationality of theism, but I, that's why I was wondering what your guys' thoughts are on that. Well, so the problem with evidences and, and why I won't dispute evidences typically, um, I'll talk about them a little bit. But I don't like disputing them with the unbeliever because the issue of evidence is, isn't about the evidence itself. It's about how we interpret it. Okay. And so, you know, one of the examples I, I love to use because it was one that really changed, flipped my mind about eight years ago was at the Creation Museum. They had a dinosaur bone, two different scientists looking at it, and the video is playing about the scientists. And so the secular scientist looking at the dinosaur bone and says that, you know, I know this world to be billions of years old, universe to be billions of years old. Dinosaurs lived between 65, 220 million years ago. Therefore, this bone must be at least 65 million years old. And then the creation scientist looks at the same bone at the exact same time and says, you know, I believe what the Bible teaches. That's my starting point in that the earth is only about 6,000 or so years old. Dinosaurs were created on day six. This bone can't be older than about 6,000 years, right? So it's, it's two different worldviews that are used to interpret the exact same evidence at the exact same time and come out with vastly different conclusions based on that. So what I, what I won't do is get into a battle of evidences with, with the unbeliever um, because it's the worldview issues that are, that are the problem. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go after the worldview and, and talk about that, okay, why that, they don't have a ground to stand on. I am very new, so um, I might be wrong, but that sounds like a precept. Is that what that is? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. That's a good, uh, I guess, segue, because that's what led to the conversation between me and this street epistemologist guy, is that he did a video that was online with a precept. It was called Presupposing Gods, the title of the video. It's in the description of mine. Mine's Aaron Aquinas. And um, I'm like, well, I liked his format on that. So I reached out to him like, hey, do you want to, like, I'll talk to you about it. Now, I'm not particularly a precept, so I approached it a little differently. Not so much, I guess, on an evidentiary standard, but that's kind of how that started. But that makes sense, because you're right, there are assumptions in our background information that will cause us to interpret the data differently and the first thing i went over says okay what are the assumptions we agree on and then we need to see where we differ and he said well we should all have we should have all the same assumptions like well no because we probably have the same conclusions if we did well Um, the the, that's something to keep in mind with precept so you understand it maybe a little better Presuppositional apologetics is not saying, okay, what what are the things you presuppose as much as it is this. The starting point is that we will not give up God and his word. So God exists, he has spoken. Those are my two presuppositions that I'm not going to give up on. What is it the atheist wants you to do? Well, let's, let's put the Bible aside and now discuss whether God exists. Right, so let's get rid. It's like so. Th- that's like saying, okay, let's t- let's talk about your beliefs in evolution, but we'll put all your science books aside. Now let's discuss it. Right? They're not going to agree to that. No, I no, I'm not. I'm not arguing against 
Christians having a presuppositional approach to their, like, that's, that's totally fine. I like in, in that particular interaction, cause he already did a presup inter, uh, interview. Um, mine was like, okay, what if we didn't now there's a, there's a diversity obviously among the, like the sort of Christian community. Like some people are precepts, some are not. Um, I, I am myself in the strategy that I'm approaching and the sort of demographic I'm going after with my audience is not the precept crowd. Uh, at least generally speaking, I mean, not every single topic addresses precepts relevance, I don't think, but for the ones that I've done so far, like we talked about just the rationality of theism first without considering scripture. And then I had a, we talked about young earth creationism, creationism with a different guy from a, something called the Ark ministry. We had two separate ones on that, but that one didn't, mm. I guess need, well, I guess we in a sense did precept because we agreed on our basic assumptions about the authority of scripture and obviously all that. But um, for the first guy, yeah. I mean, like you said, they're not going to set their, their background information aside any more than you guys would. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that when you're speaking with them, uh, they it's not an evidence issue that they have a problem with. It's a spiritual one, right? I agree with that, yes. And, and so... I think, um, I think a lot of evidentiary-style apologetics that approach it that way isn't doing so out of a sort of... Um, evidentialist perspective at least i mean maybe some people do i'm not i think it's more of a um, i still think the holy spirit has that work mm -hmm. but the holy spirit can use pretty much any tool it needs to work and i think a lot of people use the evidentiary standards as their excuse like their sort of bona fide excuse and this i think that the and this is what other apologists have said not not everyone agrees with this but i think can use that sort of um apologetic to knock that barrier out of the way for them so to speak so, so let me, so let me hold, on, hold on a sec because i want to yeah. i want to ask a question before you okay. so just just for clarification so don't forget what you're going to say anthony yeah you and i don't know if this was done on purpose so i'm just curious because first time you're coming into the show oh, yeah. you refer to the holy spirit as it and not he like so it's a well, if I did, I didn't mean to. I think okay. the it I was trying to refer to is the the mechanism. Okay. Like, yep. No, that's fine. I, I just I, I'm, a, I, I'm a Trinitarian. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get okay. down to. Okay, go ahead, Anthony. No, I'm pretty I'm pretty orthodox, <laughs> so to speak, on essential. I'm not sectarian. I'm not a cult. No, I'm, I'm pretty just Christian, I guess. I don't I don't really. Um, it, it is precept common with uh, Southern Baptist Convention? I'm, I'm not sure if that has any relation. No, it's, no. it's common with Reformed guys. Uh, reformed actually, guys. no. Well, that's, Southern that's, Baptist Convention is Reformed, isn't it? Not completely. Southern mm. Baptists aren't completely Reformed. They, they kind of okay. half and half. Um, but Anthony, actually, that's an art. Precept being Reformed is an argument that Reformed guys make. Well, I don't want to make it as Reformed. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Like there's a causal way. I there's, feel like, is that, yeah, is there's, does it tend to be the case? That yeah, there's there's a lot of people who are yeah there's a lot of people who are not reformed that would would still argue uh, precept and uh, because it's yeah. biblical. Of course, they'd be inconsistent though. <laughs> so yeah, I, so here here's what I would say is um, something to consider and and why I think precept is the way to go. Okay, um, we, yeah, I'm assuming that that you believe the Bible to be God's word completely true, right? Yeah, you sort of inerrancy. Are you asking me about? Yeah, it? Yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, basic questions, and, and I would too. So we 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 read in Romans one. Everybody knows the true God that exists by His creation and the things that are made, right? So 
Romans 1 would, would say that every single person we walk up to, every single person we talk to, they know God exists. Not just a generic God, but the God of the Bible exists. Um, the, 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 that same passage talks about um, them knowing his divine attributes. And so when people don't acknowledge the one true God that they already know exists, they suppress the truth about him and their sin. So you'll find this in Romans 1, verses 18 to about 22. And as we run across people, the thing we have to always recognize is they know God exists. We don't have the burden of proof to prove to them God exists. And, and, and that's why I'm not a fan of, of a pure evidential or classical approach is because they believe fundamentally that you've got to take somebody at, at ground zero, give them enough evidences and build them up to theism, to general theism, and then you have to give them enough evidences to get from theism to the God of the Bible. Yes. Yeah, where the Bible clearly teaches the opposite of that. The Bible says that they already know that God exists. They suppress the truth about him and their sin. They're going to be held without excuse. You read further, and it says that when they deny God or they don't acknowledge God, they turn to images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. They literally turn to idols, and they create false gods that they follow. This is exactly what we see with people. Right, and so even the atheist or agnostic is is religious, right? They believe in whatever they believe in. They have faith in whatever they believe in, and that's their idol. So we see it among everybody who suppresses the truth about the one true God that they turn to idols. Um, we see in Romans two that the moral laws written in everyone's heart, the the conscience testifies to the fact. So they understand an absolute sense of right from wrong um, because of said God in Romans one. Okay, so. Was that, Go ahead. Yeah, so that's where our starting point is going to be as a precept is that we don't we don't have the burden of proof. We come in and our job is to expose the fact that they already know. So I'm not going to say that evidences evidences are evil. I still enjoy answering questions because I, I look at Second Corinthians ten and, and first Peter three fifteen and I think we are to give answers to questions that they have, legitimate questions, sincere questions that they have. But we can't use evidences in a way that we are trying to prove to them God. Okay. We are trying to use evidences to show them that their worldview is fallacious, and they can't account for their worldview. And that the reason why they can do things such as so. Let, let me say this one other thing, okay? And then, um, and then I'll I'll, 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 I'll I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. The I would say that the that the person who doesn't acknowledge God, um, typically is the evolutionist, right? These these are people who believe that they are the result of random chemical reactions over billions of years that have done nothing but obey the laws of chemistry and physics, right? So that person, and I walk through this all the time with, with, with uh, evolutionists, they are literally a bag of random chemical reactions sitting there doing nothing but obeying laws of chemistry and physics. Now, I tell them, look, I'm not going to ask you where the laws of chemistry and physics come from, because those are orderly laws of nature. They can't come from randomness, but let's assume they're there. So you now, evolutionist, are a bag of random compactions doing nothing better than laws of chemistry and physics. Um, where are your thoughts coming from? Do you have an ability to control your, your ability to reason, and do you have the ability to control the words that are coming out of your mouth? See, somewhere along the well, line, this evolutionist has to believe that they are the product of pure materialism, and somehow out of materialism we get immaterial things that are absolute. 
laws of logic, laws of nature, um, the ability to use our senses and trust them, the ability to have reason and trust it, right? So this is the approach that I'm typically going to take is that the person that we are talking to in general is somebody who can't support their worldview. Like they can't account for their ability to even argue with us from their position. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with precept. I mean, in fact, the, uh, the presupposing God video that sparked mine was pretty much all about that. And I'm not, I mean, obviously didn't come prepared to speak specifically to this. I'm not yeah. here to try to like dismantle precept, but I think people yeah. are totally fine with it. And by the way, you, you mentioned a lot of things. I don't know if I'm going to be able to respond to all of them. If someone else wants to come on, feel free to kick me off. I feel like I'm taking a lot of time, but, um, can you quote the verse? Like, I, I didn't catch it. The one where he says, everyone knows God exists. Like, what, what verse? Were you it's Romans about? 1, um, between 18 and 21. Or just the, what's that specific line that you're referring to? That okay. says, like, I, cause I, I know, maybe it doesn't verbatim say everyone knows there's a God. I mean, it probably says in different words. But, it says it in different words. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to know exactly what you're referring to there. So, yeah. Yeah. So you want me to read it? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Just, just, just that little bit. I don't yeah. Know yeah. Sit down. I know okay. the context. I'm just curious what that, that yeah, so this is were. Yeah, this is what it says. Romans 1.18, uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay, yes. So that's the passage I thought you were referring to, the, the clearly perceived as eternal power and deity and all that. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. And obviously, like, that's just what the text says. I agree with that. Now, the, the text doesn't, like, say in the same language that you did everyone knows that God, because I think that grammar has slightly different, this is just my opinion, has slightly diff- different implications because I, I I've have, I don't want to call them friends necessarily, but I have people like uh, acquaintances that will say I know or believe in God, but they're more pantheistic, more of a Spinozan style. So like the grammar and the language will imply different things depending on like who you're talking to in the context of what you're saying. And there's a few different I know that's the um, precept understanding of that. There's a, in this sort of evidentiary, which I wouldn't consider myself, they see that as the not having an excuse to tell before God that you are not in needing of justification, so to speak. Um, now, I don't really hold to either, like I'm not interested in the, the sort of objective, like that's an in-house debate as far as I'm concerned. That's not yeah. really a, this bridge that unbelievers need to try to get over understanding that passage. But um, I do believe that. Yes, I do think um, like where it talks about the fool has said there is no God, that sort of same sort of grammar implication That's where it does at. imply that there are people who say there are no God. And I think that could be sincere. But whether that be true or not, I think what we would agree on is that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. So I think the conviction comes by the work of the Holy Spirit and I'm, I just believe in a sort of um, both on a textual basis, and I think rationale that the Holy Spirit can use any means to bring people to faith. Um, and that's the sort of, I guess that's the sort of not necessary precept approach. Cause I'm not saying don't precept. I'm just saying, I, I don't know if it's always necessary yeah. because there's a lot of, 
I don't, I don't like a lot of the things you were describing to me. Um, I think are going to be, um, I, I, I can't respond to all of them. There's quite a few points, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's only <laughs> yeah, okay. towards the end of the time here too. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. the, uh, the, the sort of precept, um, understanding of the arena in which this sort of dialogue takes place, I don't think is always the case. I think there are cases where I don't want to say the word evidence because I think that has a certain empirical connotation to it. Well, but reasons, yeah, the, giving reasons, um, in that sense is a, is the sort of basic level of the word evidence. No, no, can be clearly both justified and is the example of not only the sermons in the Book of Acts and even in the Gospels, but also is a lot of people quoting the sort of apologetics word origin phrase in First Peter about being prepared to give a reason. So I think those can go hand in hand. So let me let me just clarify something just so you you can understand. Because, you know, Anthony said he uses evidence. It's not that a presuppositionalist doesn't use evidence. I, I, there are some, I know, you know, one person would say, oh, evidence is a sin. However, what is it that Christ used when John the Baptist's followers came to him? He didn't say, you know, they said, are, are you the Messiah? He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He went and healed a bunch of people and said, go tell John what you saw, right? However, John is someone that's believing in God, right? So there's a difference there. So what Anthony was... the context is different. Yeah, and so what you see, though, is what Anthony was saying is we don't use evidence to prove God exists. So you give some evidence. It's great evidence. It convinces the person God exists. And then they see someone else come up with some arguments that say he doesn't. Right, so evidence itself just isn't it, the real. And this gets back to the issue: the real issue is a spiritual problem, not an evidence problem. So, because of that, we're going to bring them back to the Bible, right, to the Word of God. Yeah. And it's not that you know. If, look, if someone comes up, and Anthony and I will use evidences all the time when people challenge us. We're going to give answers when when people say you know they want to argue for evolution. I have no problem pointing out that evolution is scientifically impossible. You 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 for evolution to be true, you have to have a gain of information that's beneficial and reproducible, and we don't see that. So that is not proving God exists. What's that doing? That's attacking their worldview and showing the problems within their worldview. I can use evidence for that. That's that's not an issue. The the issue that you know Anthony was saying was we we're not going to use evidence to prove God exists because think about this. Any evidence, if there was something other than God that can prove God, that would be greater than Him. There is nothing greater than God. So that's why we we there, you're not going to have anything that you can turn to. What a lot of people are going to turn to is, oh, give me, the sci- give me a scientific way of proving God exists. Well, that's a category error in logic. Because, yeah. hmm? Oh, I can't hear myself reverbing, so sorry if yeah. I seem like I'm interrupting. But uh, no, we're actually on the same page here. Even though I don't call myself a precept, I would never use the, the, the well, language you, you, of proving God like with some kind of certainty or demonstrable, repeatable like empiricism that, people like you said people want a scientific yeah that's it's not even merely a category error it, which it is I, I think you're right about that but it's also just um it, it's a sort of non sequitur like the proposition isn't suggesting 
a naturalistic deterministic testable hypothesis that's like it's not what it's doing um that that I don't even know why they would. Well, I do know why well, actually. They, they don't see out of incredulity. Yeah, they don't. They don't care about the answer anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not trying to speculate on their psychology, but the, yeah. the the point I was going to is, yeah, I wouldn't. That's why I. The word evidence gets so tied up with the empirical connotation and proving, like we expect with science, because we do have a presupposition of the natural world being the same everywhere. Like that's the sort of uniformity of nature. Like that is. I don't think it's an unjustified assumption, but it is an assumption that we have when we do science, but we're not offering a scientific proposition when we're talking about God. And I think that's, that's where we're agreeing, whether it's a precept approach or yeah. uh, I guess you could call I, what I was doing an evidentiary approach. I don't know. No, it wouldn't be evidentially. You, you're, you're sound like you may be more of a classical apologetics, um, yeah, but I guess leaning, so. I, leaning I don't really more label on it because I'm yeah. just kind of doing things. I'm yeah, not like a type of ministry. And I, and person. I think I think it's good the way you worded it to say this is you know this is um, instead of saying evidence using reason. Um, we we are well, going to and I, I'm going to give you the last word just to let you know. But we're going to I want we have ten minutes left in the show. I want to bring James in. But and we're yeah. here every Thursday night, cool. Aaron. So any any Thursday night you want to jump in. We're we're usually here. Yeah, well, I will um, I will definitely be returning. This is this is a very good time. It's very educational. I, I haven't even had a good chance to read some of the comments and response, but I'll, I'll go back and look at it. And with your guys' permission, I want to try to clip my spot and I'll put it on my channel, like the the part I appeared in. That's fine. Um, but also, uh, yeah, what I'll leave with is the the current work I have because I'm still really new. I've only got like eight videos or something. But the current work I have has been called, um, it's not a precept approach, but we talked about the rationality of theism. We, it wasn't even, is theism true? It wasn't, can you prove theism? Is there, it was like, is theism a rational option for the thinking person? And it's sort of rational permission, which will allow them, I think, to be more open to the gospel. Because obviously you're going to have a hard time believing Jesus rose from the dead if you don't believe God exists. That, that's not in your background information then that's just impossible. Like the natural world tells you it's impossible. But if theism is a rational option, like if they don't have the excuse of their presuppositions on the natural world and logic and their sort of metaphysical framework that prevents them from having God in that background information, that's what mine was. Um, it's literally called, is theism rational? Question mark. And then there's a part one and two in response to the guy who talked to the, this precept guy. It's really interesting stuff, but um, yeah, I don't want to t- take up yeah. the whole stream. Well, no, we we, we appreciate you coming in, and uh, yeah, come on back in. But we're gonna we're gonna I'll put you in the backstage and uh, hold on till the end of the show. We'll we'll uh, talk a little bit more after the show. All right, cool. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's bring in the beardless one. Man, I don't even recognize him. It is a little bit different, right? Oh, now we can hear you. Uh, yeah, I'm holding up to my podcast. Setup, you know. But- Tell, tell Anthony, is it me or does he look like a child now? You know, <laughs> baby face. That's we're gonna have to call him baby face. He's well, it's not gonna last long. It'll by, uh, hopefully by the weekend. I'll have a uh, I'll have something going. I start, my, I start my new job tomorrow, so I, I wanted to get all nice and cleaned up. Oh, is that why you shaved? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But I uh, I had two comments that I wanted to uh, come on and make. Uh, number one, Aunt Anthony, Shelby and I would love to have you and Julie over for dinner. And number two, uh, Andrew, I got an interview with James White and you did. 
So, so yeah, I mean, no, no, that's that's fair. I mean, you're you got you got ten minutes, and I'm gonna have an full hour. I did, and I'm working on some other big ones right now. Yeah, don't so, know how that's gonna pan out, but I mean, but you you oh, haven't that's... had you haven't had Sylvester on, so I, I recorded with him at G3. He's really three. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You record for what? Because whining that we we're taking too long. Yeah, Who because once you let Anthony start speaking, it's like you know you can't you can't shut him up. So you know, all of a sudden, your timetable of okay, the people who are going to use the equipment at this time and this time, Anthony's just like hogging it all. You know what's funny is that is that every time I'm on a box, I make sure I get on right before Andrew. You know, for street preaching, so I can keep him at bay for a while. And it just so happens that I was on the box before him for the interviews. So we, I got to stymie him there too. Like this is great. I've got a happy, squeaky, clean face. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good one. So, so what are we gonna have? Steak? Should we bring some salad or what? Oh man, steak. Oh, we'll go buy the steak. We'll grill that. Us Southerners up here in Ohio, this is perfect grilling weather. Yeah. So did you, you, you were, so for folks that don't know, you're originally from Georgia. You moved up to Ohio and in Anthony's area because you really uh, hate nice weather and decided you want some snow. And yeah. so <laughs> and you got it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was even worse for me. I went from G3, which was Atlanta, Georgia, down to Florida, which was even nicer weather. Yeah. Only to come back to Jersey, and it's what was it when I landed? I think twenty degrees. That was not fun, not at all. No, I think the day we got back in Ohio, the uh, the temperature up here was like twelve degrees. Yeah, that's pretty different from the sixty that it was. When yeah. It was, uh, yeah. So, like, so it's supposed to be in the mid forties tomorrow here. So yeah, I know. What's up? It's like we come up north in the in the we do, we're just not having like a winter that we wanted now. Yeah. Oh, Dory. Yeah, coming. it's coming. So, uh, so James, you on the, your podcast, right? Is five solas. So, um, you've you've gotten a couple new episodes that you've dropped. You had one, the most recent one with uh, Jeff Jeffrey Rice. Yep. Uh, that was really a, a very good interview that you had down there. G three. Um, you know, y- you bribed him. You you made him give you a Bible for an interview what what's up with that i don't know but uh he's got a real interesting background doesn't he he does you know it was one it's one of those things you talk to him individually and you're like you know i don't uh i don't i don't know how this is going to come off in an interview because he just <laughs> one of those guys where uh where it's 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 like you're just sitting at a kitchen table having a conversation you don't know how it's going to go across on, on a podcast but once you get going with him you you don't want to stop yeah well it's i mean you 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 ended up seeing I mean, his background he he was yeah. kidnapped uh by i think it was a neighbor at like i think he was 11 years old and uh and basically told that he he was going to be his parents were going to be offered to up to satan if he didn't stay with this person and so to protect his parents you know in his mind for 11 year old he's he he ends up staying he escapes from there uh and ends up getting into gangs (laughs) uh at 14 one extreme to the other yeah and uh, and then get saved, and I think that's why it's it's you know he does uh, the Bible rebindings, does great work. Um, yeah, well, and, I mean, what's incredible is you know the reason why he got into the Bible rebinding was because of a medical issue. Yeah, and 
And, you know, if something like that happened to me, I would be devastated, like with the vertigo passing out. It's like, oh, man, I can't work now. What do I do? But it's really a testament of God using using uh, something that he didn't even know he was good at for for his good, you know, working it out for his good. Yeah. And and uh, I'll, I'll put a plug this way. So people will go listen to Five Solos podcast. But the uh, I, I really liked when you asked him to share the gospel. And uh, I'll just put it this way. The the way that. Uh, Daryl ended up saying, I don't need to listen to Paul Washer now. <laughs> so if you, so if essentially, if you haven't gone to listen to Five Solas, <laughs> you may want to go listen to that. I'm so, excited about it. You know, I kind of got in that, that vibe after my mom passed. It was just like I didn't really have a desire to do anything, and that, you know, my desires are finally starting to come back, and uh, the conference helped out greatly with that. So I, I've got, like, a lineup of people already, and I'm going to start kind of promoting the release dates. Uh talked with somebody at the conference and they said that's helped them out a lot to promote the upcoming episodes so yeah i i I try to do that now you know the thing is is you're a lot of people down at uh at the g3 conference i mean we got to run into a lot of people that we know online you know who we didn't see there we we did we did not see chris honholtz from voice of reason he just was absent you know, and he's all Captain America. He, yeah, he Captain America. So he he wasn't able to be where where we were the entire time. Right across from Jeff Rice with all those nice, butterly soft uh, Bibles. You know, and you know, I could reach up and grab some here. Hold on, just in case in case Scott Hunt is is you know this these nice uh, Scott wants one of these. You know, goat skin heirlooms. Mine, mine doesn't have your, you know, the the post Texan looks on it. But uh, <clears throat> you know, Scott Hunt's watching. This is what you want: nice, soft Bible. Yeah, he gave me a uh, journaling Bible, and I actually got my first notes in it last night at the uh, Bible study. So decided to be able to use it. Okay, so what were your first notes? Genesis one one. You said Anthony's favorite verse or something? Uh, we were actually in First uh, Peter. We was actually biblical submission. Uh, so that was a you know great perspectives given last night. You know, it made me look at things a, a little bit different. Not necessarily different, but from uh, other perspectives that I haven't looked at the text from yet. Well, I know we, we got to wrap up, but I'll tell you this: you know where Anthony would go in uh, if if you're discussing that. Genesis. Of course. Okay. Because he doesn't know any other books exist in the Bible. Genesis. All right. Anthony's Bible is this thick. Yeah. (laughs) Anthony's Bible contains one book, and it's Genesis. All right. Actually, just part of a book. Yeah. (laughs) 11 chapters worth. All right. He was saying, son, I cut him off because we're going to end. But folks, uh, just to let you know, something you could do, we were giving something away at G3. Um, and that is a free introductory class on hermeneutics. And so we are going to offer it to you guys. Here's what you could do. Uh, I, I should, let's see if I can create a banner for this really quick. Um, so what you, what we're going to do is if you, if you send a text to four, four, two, 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 and text to that G three conf, and I'll put a banner up really quick. So there you go. So text 44222 and 
Uh, that's the number. And then what you want to put in the message is G3Conf. It'll ask for your uh, for an email address, and then you'll start getting some uh, emails, one a day. I th- I th- it should send you five short, uh, basically it's a short hermeneutical introdu- introductory class, give you a deal with five, each day is going to deal with a different topic hermeneutically of how to interpret the scriptures. So if you want to get that, just text 44222, and the message is G3Conf, and you will get that. Uh, other than that, I can I'll mention uh, for those who uh, have not maybe you're new watching or listening, um, you can join us in Israel. Anthony and I will be speaking in Israel March 2021. You can go to 2021israeltrip.com, get all the details there. Uh, and if you prefer listening to podcasts, you can uh, check this podcast out this will be this video becomes a podcast tomorrow and it'll it'll drop there you can go to christian podcast community check out all the podcasts that we have uh anthony anything you you want to share you got you're going to be coming to new york this weekend to speak uh at a lutheran church there um while i'm in pennsylvania so you have any other events i'm, I'm just trying to look in our trip it to see if you have anything else well, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the big one. Yeah, is, plug the plug the apologetic uh, the creation apologetics teachers. Yeah, course. so you know the big one that, that you'll be coming to this year will be uh, the five day course that uh, Mike Riddle, Pastor Jim Harris, and I teach. Um, down in this this year, it'll be at Arizona Christian University. It's a five day course, and you learn not just creation apologetics, but you get precept training, and you also get. Um, different social issue trains. So there's a, there's a social justice message. There is a sanctity of life message, um, an hour long teaching. And it's, it's not just teaching, but also how you go out and teach. Cause the, the thing that we really enjoy doing is teaching people how to teach, to bring this to your local church and to be able to teach within your church. Um, what's fascinating about this course is, and why it's different than most others out there is you're actually going to get a chance to, to, uh, to demonstrate your abilities to speak and to use the uh, hand motions and voice inflections and that type of stuff for us to grade you on and coach you through to become a more effective teacher and uh, communicator. So this course is normally a uh, $1,700, $1,800 is about what it costs us per person. It gives you a five-nights hotel. Um, it gives you 15 meals and uh, all the training. And uh, because of donors, the cost per person is only five ninety. It's really cheap. So I encourage people to uh, to sign up. Go to creationtraining.org, and you can actually uh, read all about it and sign up for it. All right. And so with that, we're going to go off air. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to find out. I, f- I don't have anything scheduled for next week, so I don't know who will be the guest apologist who might be, Matt may be coming in. But we will we'll see. Until next time, just remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. We will see you next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.